all the school shootings. It, just, it doesn't make sense. Fix it. Should have been one school shooting and we should have fixed it. And I'm pissed. Because my daughter I'm not going to see again. She's not here. She's not here. She's at, in, in North Lauderdale at whatever it is, King David Cemetery. That's where I go to see my kid now. And it, it stops. We all work together and come up with the right idea, and it's school safety. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. What are Congress and the White House willing to do about our problem with guns in America? Yesterday, there were a couple of high-profile meetings between officials and people directly impacted by the Parkland, Florida school shooting. President Donald Trump met at the White House with students and parents from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. As we heard at the top of the show from Andrew Pollack, father of Meadow Pollack, one of the people who was killed in the shooting last week. And CNN hosted an extraordinary town hall style meeting where angry parents and students confronted an NRA representative and NRA-backed Senator Marco Rubio. Here's a bit of that exchange on CNN last night. Now, I think what you're asking about is the assault weapons ban. Yes, Yes, sir. So let me be honest with you about that one. If I believed that that law would have prevented this from happening, I would support it. But I want to explain to you why it would not. Senator Rubio, my daughter, running down the hallway at Marjorie Stone and Douglas was shot in the back with an assault weapon. The weapon of choice. Yes, sir. Okay? It is too easy to get. It is a weapon of war. The fact that you can't stand with everybody in this building and say that, I'm sorry. Sir, I do believe what you're saying is true. Okay, we are all left asking the question about what we can and will do about ending these mass shootings in schools and other public spaces. In the spring of 2016, Democratic representatives staged a sit-in in the U.S. House to protest a lack of movement by Republican leaders on gun control measures, but nothing happened, and nothing has happened since. One of the most vocal members of that sit-in was Debbie Dingell, a congresswoman from right here in Michigan. She represents the 12th District. She is a fierce advocate for more restrictions on gun ownership, and she joins us now to kick off our discussion here on Detroit Today. Debbie, welcome to the show. Good morning, Steve. It's good to be with you. Yeah. But I don't even like to be framed as a fierce advocate of okay. more restrictions because yeah. I think you're we also a stop. defender of the Second well, Amendment. I mean, yeah. I don't want to be framed as a defender of the Second Amendment. What I want is answers. Uh, you could not watch that town hall last night with those parents and those kids. Yeah. And know it is time to do something. So what I'm trying to do this time is. You know, what I said on the floor of the House, and mm-hmm. we, we can talk more about what I said, is how can we solve a problem if you won't even come to the table and have the discussion? And what I am desperate for this time is not having everybody go to their corners, not having the same conversation that gets everybody no place. And instead, Fred Upton and I, Republican from the other side of the state, we're both members of a group called Problem Solvers, 26 Republicans and 26 Democrats. And I want to say, what do we need to do to keep our kids safe? What does that? So, you know, I talked to Mike Bouchard on Saturday night, Oakland County Sheriff. And he had just been 
in Washington with the FBI all week and said, Mike, what do we need? And he had a couple of ideas. One was an 800 number, national number. People could call in if they thought that someone was a threat. Mm -hmm. And that you need to have a minimum of two sets of eyes. I've now talked to subsequent law enforcement who say three. You would immediately refer to local law enforcement so that local law enforcement would be evaluating the threat. Secondly, that they need local law enforcement needs to have the tools that they need if that they do view that someone is a threat to themselves or to the community, that the guns can be taken away for a period of time. Since then, Fred Upton and I have met or meeting with everybody, talking to everybody, law enforcement, prosecutors, judges, ACLU, mental health community, educators, parents, kids. What do we need to do? How do we do it? And let's not have the same old discussion. Let's really get a bill that people will support. So, so let's go back to 2016 when you and some other members of the House uh, sat in on the floor of, of the House to, to protest the fact that Republican leaders would just not – they wouldn't engage in this, in this conversation. Are we in a different time now than we were then? And if we are, is it is it tied to what happened in Parkland or – are we just starting to see people think differently about this issue overall? I think our young people need to be our voice. I think that, you know, people talk about oh, the NRA's money. It's not, you know, the NRA has money, and I'm not discounting that. They have a lot of money. But it, the, when you go in and analyze it's what uh, uh, the money, what really matters with the NRA is that their members are single-issue voters. They turn out. They care and that they're passionate. And I've talked to a lot of NRA board, a lot of NRA members in the last few days, who you know, especially downriver, who are don't want someone to take their guns away, but want their kids safe in schools. So what does that mean? I mean, I think we finally have universal agreement that we need to ban the bump stock, but. Uh, even on the bill that we ultimately introduce will ban the bump stock. The president told the executive branch to do something about it, he did. which is great that he said it. But there are those that argued that they don't have the authority and it's going to end up in the courts. And I want to make sure this doesn't end up in the courts. I want to make sure that it actually gets banned. And by the way, as soon as we ban bump stocks, somebody's going to create another. We need <laughs> to else, make right? sure that we don't get another bump stock somehow, some way in, in what we are doing. Uh, everybody, I think there's unanimous agreement that we need to do something about the background checks mm -hmm. and that we need to close the loopholes. And uh, uh, the NRA, John Dingle, I shouldn't say, who this is an area where we pretty strongly disagree, although he has had very thoughtful discussions with me mm -hmm. in the last few days. We haven't put enough money into enforcing background checks. States are not inputting the data that is necessary you know, and another thing that really worries me about all of this, um, Steve, and I, I, I'm really having some pretty honest conversations, and they're pretty raw for me. Yeah. And by the way, they're hard. Right. But my father shouldn't have had access to guns. Right. And, and we've talked about that before, you and I. I don't know that our listeners have heard you say that, but, but you have a very personal I have two very personal experience I mean, with this issue. I don't think that any child should have to hide in a closet afraid that they're going to live or die. Right. And I am able to understand what's being talked about because when I was the age or younger of many of these kids, I did hide in a closet from a man with a gun, scared 
that we might not live. And I also had a sister who I loved with my whole heart and soul, my baby sister, who, you know, what had was haunted by ghosts and had issues her entire life. And I knew she was suicidal. I knew she was a threat to herself. I desperately tried to work a system that's not workable, that even if you knew she was a threat, you couldn't protect her. And ultimately, she didn't make it. Yeah. And we need to. I think the mental health community is very concerned that we not take a paintbrush and paint everybody in the community. And they are very worried about this discussion. And we need to take the stigma off of mental health. You know, I think the opioid drug addiction is caused by people who suffer from depression, depression. or anxiety sure. and are self-treating themselves. But we need to have some real conversations. And everybody... Everybody needs to be a part of it. And I, I, I'm begging them all not to be defensive, but help us work together to figure out what the real answers are. So so when we talk about those real answers and, and as somebody who, you know, who has a lot more personal experience with this issue than, than for instance, I do. Right. And, and I think that's sort of uh, ironic almost. I mean, I'm a kid who I was a kid who grew up in the city of Detroit in the 70s and 80s, lived in a housing project for nine years uh, and never saw a gun, right? Never knew anybody who had a gun. I'm sure there were people who did, but but as a child, I was protected from all of that uh, in in an urban environment where where killing and shooting was pretty prevalent uh, in the city overall. Uh, but but when you think about this issue and you think about the things that can be done. I always wonder what we can do about the prevalence of guns that exist now, right? And and the numbers sort of vary, but but there are something like 300 million guns in this country. Can we really get at this issue and prevent the things that you're talking about, prevent the things that you experienced as a child? Can we do that without dealing with that number? And, and I know that's really controversial. I know that the whole idea of gun confiscation or uh, meltdowns of guns or whatever you want to call it that would, uh, that would dig into that number and reduce it, it you know, can we, can we have that conversation in this country or should we be having that conversation in this country? I think we need to find a way to have real conversations with people that they don't feel threatened and everything's a non-starter. I don't think, well, I want to do something to keep our schools safe, and I want to do something now, and that's not going to be something that you'll ever get agreement on or move forward. So to anybody listening, I'm not saying you shouldn't have the conversation, but I also, I want to do something now, mm -hmm. and I want our kids to be the voice. I want our kids to talk about that. But, you know, I was I, Fred and I have been talking to everybody. Our Sheriff Clayton from Washington County has said, we need to do buyback programs or do something to incentivize. So I think that would be less controversial mm -hmm. if different communities were to sponsor programs where people could turn in guns, turn in guns incentivize right. it in some way. You're not taking anybody's gun away that doesn't want to give their gun, but that's one way that if people don't want guns in their home, we could talk about it. I mean, I think we need to think outside of the box yeah. because everybody just, you're going to take my gun away. I don't want to take anybody's gun away. I want to keep people safe. I don't want another school shooting. I don't want any child to have to hide in a closet, right. afraid. You know, it, it's uh, I, this is off 
record, but still, I mean, not off subject, but on subject. I, I did town halls in Lincoln Park with 10-year-olds, uh, 9 and 10-year-olds. And I was stunned at how attentive they were and how much they listened. But I talked about why this subject matters to me and that when I was their age, I knew what it was to be scared and to have to hide in a closet. Mm -hmm. And the mayor down there, who was a former police chief, said, Debbie, half those kids knew what you were talking about. Because they they've believe experienced it. They've experienced it. And that's why I think our hope right now is our kids. It, people are tired of all of us that go in our corners. Our kids don't want to go to school and be scared. Our kids want to see a safer community. And I'm all for them being out there and being the voice. I, 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 March 24th, their march is going to be powerful and yeah. strong. These walkout days are... At the town hall meeting last night, these kids were so articulate and yeah. on point. They're our future and they're our hope. And I think they've had enough. I mean, they I have. think there's no question that uh, you think about the way that this issue has shaped their lives, not just because of Parkland, but because of the other things that we've that we've seen. And, you know, as as small children, uh, these people uh, watched what happened in in Sandy Hook, uh, and, and so and in uh, movie theater. Is, is, yeah. We've seen. We're seeing too many mass shootings. You know, and the father yesterday at the White House who talked about after 9-11, we took care of airports. What is it going to take? Our kids are 25% of our population and 100% of our future. What is it going to take for us to make sure our kids are safe in schools? Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Debbie Dingle, Congresswoman who represents Michigan's 12th district. We are talking about the suddenly very spirited debate over gun laws in this country. Uh, children in Florida and other places are standing up, demanding that something be done, something that we haven't really seen for a long time in this country around this issue. Uh, and it seems that our leaders are starting to listen to them. Last night, uh, CNN Town Hall, uh, lots of people uh, watched that, I think, and saw a group of children and parents talking with an NRA representative and uh, NRA-backed Senator Marco Rubio. The President of the United States also met yesterday with families from Parkland, Florida, where last week's shooting claimed 17 young lives. What do you think about the debate that we're having? Where do you think it will take us? Will we actually get to a place where we can get gun laws into place that make better sense, that keep them out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter, and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Tiffany on Twitter says, another phone number to a parent who's lost a child to gun violence isn't helpful. We need increased scrutiny over how a weapon like this is obtained, and we need to communicate with those who are clearly in mental pain. Uh, Dave on Twitter says, two educators spoke about their use of checkpoints and metal detectors in their D.C. school. Do you think this is a better idea than arming school staff? We do this in government buildings and in airports. Why not schools? Dave, that's a great point. Uh, I posted on Facebook last week uh, about my experience covering Detroit schools in the mid and late 1990s. 
uh, Detroit, Baltimore, and Chicago, in fact. Uh, and in all three of those cities, school shootings were pretty common uh, occurrences uh, at that time. And one of the things that fixed it, in fact, was they put metal detectors in the, at the doors of all of the schools. And uh, many of those schools have armed guards. And I can't remember the last time something like this happened in an urban school We're seeing it now in suburban and rural communities, though. Frank on Twitter says, gun violence didn't become a real issue until it affected people outside of the black community. Uh, Urban centers are very, uh, he says it's very similar to the opioid uh, crisis. So, um, uh, Debbie, do you want to respond to Dave's question about schools and guards and metal detectors? You know, I, 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 for... None of us, I guess it bothers all of us to think that we've got to put metal detectors in schools and armed guards, though it may be what we have to do. And I am totally open on any front because I don't want to see another child die. Um, but I'm also going to say to you that, so for instance, this shooter it, it went a different route, pulled a fire alarm to get people exiting the building. Therefore, those metal detectors wouldn't have kept the kids that were running outside safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not trying to do another number. I'm trying to get sets of eyes on it so that if somebody really does see something, say something, that when you say something, somebody's investigating and actually dealing with. You know, I know in Dearborn, there have been five cases of family members reporting guns were taken away and lives were saved just in the last year or two. This isn't easy, you know, uh, that, that we all want simple solutions. This is very complex, but we can't stop talking about it because we have to do something. We have a crisis in this country that our kids are in danger in their schools. And we, got, uh, we have a responsibility. I think every child should be able to go to school and feel safe and secure. And that's not happening. And we've got a moral responsibility to fix it. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Michael in Ann Arbor. Michael, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning, mm-hmm. and thank you for taking the call. Congresswoman mm-hmm. Dingell, good morning. Thank you for your leadership on this issue. Thank um, you. I wonder what do you think about the possibility of uh, repealing the uh, so-called Dickey Amendment for a generation now, um, public health, social science research into this uh, crisis, a public health crisis of uh, gun injuries and deaths in our country uh, has been stymied. And, and as I understand it, the CDC is, has been essentially forbidden from engaging in rigorous science-based public health research into this crisis. Um, do you think that perhaps uh, government could get behind the idea that, you know, the facts need to be understood and some research needs to be done, much like any other public health crisis. And I'll take my uh, the, the discussion off the air. Thank you again. Michael, Thank thanks you. for the call. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, actually, I have said to people to show that the kids are making a difference and that the climate is changing. Within the last week, not only did President Trump call for action on the bump stock, but the director of the CDC testified and the secretary of HHS testified before the Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, the CDC director said that he felt that CDC should be doing research on gun, uh, on gun violence. And the secretary of HHS said he was going to 
tell people to be doing research, which shows you, I've used those two as examples, that the climate's already changing. And I think a lot of people missed that the HHS secretary testified to that last Friday. And he said that he felt that the uh, Dickey Amendment might preclude advocacy, but it did not preclude research. And he was directing the people inside his agency. I think whatever legislation we move, we need to try to get clarification on the Dickey Amendment and withdraw it. But Already, thank God, we are seeing administration officials in key positions, CDC and HHS, say we need to be doing it. So that is certainly one of the things that I plan on pushing. But I also think it's very very enlightening to see those two things happen in the last week. Yeah, yeah. Michael, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Akili in Ann Arbor. Akili, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, and thank you for uh, for taking the call. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that I think that what the children are saying to us clearly is that, see, they're asking us as adults to, when we talk about incentives, to really start to be honor and truthful about incentivizing life. And that's a discussion that I think we're someone having a tough discussion. I don't think that we do enough of that. Is really put the value on life. It's really a lot of lip service because when you talk about 10-year-olds and elementary school children, they're very attentive, but they're also deeply attentive to our hypocrisies when we say you want to value life, but then we readily, you know, pick and choose enemies and talk about who should and who shouldn't die. And um, I think in terms of research that we should do a lot of research, but I think we should think outside the box. Like, I've done research and, and had experience working in indigenous cultures, and they have a different a connection to this type of violence because they're, for, for the most part, when they work with their children, they work in capacities that really try to celebrate the art of living and just life itself. Um, the children are the ones that are always the victims when it comes to these types of things. And mm-hmm. so I just think that, um, that, that we should encourage ourselves to really think outside the box and to get at some of the core questions that may yeah. challenge a lot of our notions about violence and other things like right. that. Akili, that's the, the, those are really great uh, thoughts. I'm glad you called and uh, added them to the conversation here. Uh, I, th- I think thinking about how our kids see all this, receive all of it, think about it, and what they're doing to it is a really important part of figuring out how to solve the problem. Uh, let's go to John in Windsor. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Fascinating show. Just a tragedy, and our, and our prayers and thoughts go out from all Canadians. I'm an American to the families of, in Florida. and I have property very close to that school in Florida. Um, Congressman, just uh, three points I'd like to, um, to bring to you. Number one is Australia, of course. We've heard that. One mass shooting. They got rid of guns overnight. The country still proceeds quite nicely. Two. A number of years ago, one lawn dart killed a child. Lawn darts were banned in the United States. I was one of the people that led the um, fight for the <laughs> banning of, the of those lawn, lawn darts, darts right. just for the record, after I watched it on 60 Minutes. Uh, John, that's a, <laughs> that's a great point, too. And and But, I mean, I think the, the two points... Lawn darts that, didn't uh, have the NRA or yeah, right, around either. Right. But, but, but the two points he's making get to this, this question of what the Second Amendment... Means, I mean, that does separate this this country from other countries. Uh, that we have an amendment that that uh, very strongly supports the idea that uh, that that Congress cannot 
uh, you know, uh, interfere with the right to, to, to bear arms. Uh, but other countries, other Western countries that we think of ourselves as similar to have approached this differently and they have different results. It's it's really frustrating sometimes, I think, to keep having that argument to say, well, it's the Second Amendment. It's the Second Amendment. It's the Second Amendment when you see that uh, other civilized countries don't do things this way. Some do, some don't. And what I'm trying to do right now is that is to have the different conversation, to bring people to the table that says we've got to do something. Yes, you know, we're not going to take everybody's gun away, but we got to manage who does have guns and that people with mental illness shouldn't be able to have guns when there can be a threat to themselves or to somebody else. How do we make sure that? So what I'm trying to do is instead of everybody going to the corners and not having anything done, I'm trying to have a different conversation. I'm trying to bring every stakeholder to the table and say, so what will you do? What will we, what can we get done? And I really want the kids out there because these kids are going to get people's attention that we can't get anybody else to act. And I'm telling you, if we don't change the dialogue, if we don't change how we're looking at this, if we don't get the kids out there and people, people don't care what I think. I mean, I, I try to put the face on it. I am willing to get people to understand it happens everywhere. And by the way, what happened to me was a long time ago. And some of us were afraid to talk about it, didn't want, I still don't like talking about it. I still, I get, I don't sleep at night just remembering it. It, 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 it was really awful. Yeah. But we got to do something. So let's not go to our corners. Let's change the dialogue so we can actually do something. Okay, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, we didn't get to, to immigration, but we'll have you back to talk about that. I don't think that issue is going anywhere. Uh, we'll be talking about that for I'm a while. I'm not afraid to talk about to. tough issues. Yeah. That's the problem. Too many people don't want to talk about tough issues. You're absolutely right about We got to talk about them. We got to sit at a table and talk about them and let how people really feel come out and listen to each other. Yeah. Compromise isn't a dirty word. Right. We've got to do something about all of this. Okay, as always, thanks for being here with us on Detroit Thank Today. Thank you for having me. Up next, we're going to talk about how the political climate seems to be in perpetual motion and whether the right side of the political spectrum will survive the contravening that takes place almost daily from its leader. And don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you can download the Detroit Today podcast on iTunes or wherever it is you find podcasts. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.